Welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast, your source for gripping and twisty stories in a serialized format. And now, here's your host, Jim Heskett. Hola, mi amigo. Como esta usted? Muy bien, gracias. E too? <laughs> How's my sweet Spanish moves? You guys like that? No, I know my Spanish isn't all that great, but I took a lot of Spanish in school, um, grade school, high school, and even some in college. But I never really got much of a chance to practice it, so it's all just information that's sort of rolling around in the back of my brain there. And now I get to bust it out on the podcast, and you don't have any choice but to listen to it. Well, I suppose you could turn the podcast off. You know, that's always your choice. But you're not going to do that because you want to know what happens next in Museum Attack featuring Lane Parrish. And you know what? Today you're going to find out what happens next. Today, though, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Uh, so far up to this point, we've been reading one chapter per episode, and I'm going to try to get these released every couple days, um, you know, from the, when they first come out up until the end. But today, because we've got a few short chapters right in a row, and I don't want to leave you guys with a three-minute episode, and then you have to wait two more days to get the next one, because that would be cruel, and I'm not going to do you like that. We've got three very short chapters, and I'm going to read all three of them today. We're going to read 14, 15, and 16 in Museum Attack. And um, so I'm going to read some, and then it'll be a pause for a few seconds there to let you know that the chapter's changing, so don't turn off your uh, television set. There's just a pause in between chapters, and then I'll go ahead and read the next one. So since we're going to be trying to get through all that, I'm going to go ahead and start. Okay, you guys ready? I'm ready. Here, let's go. Since going up wasn't an option, Lane elected to descend the elevator shaft. On the off chance he had to let go of this ladder, he'd rather do it closer to the ground, not higher up. He preferred not to become a splat of flesh and body armor at the bottom of the elevator shaft. Plus, he might find an air conditioning duct or something else below him that would allow a new avenue to sneak around the building. Carefully, he descended the ladder. One foot, one hand, making sure his heel landed solidly on the rung below before he attempted to release each hand above. He kept his eyes forward, trying not to think of the inky depth below his feet. With gritted teeth, Lane breathed for a few moments, trying to clear his head. He needed a plan. There was not an unlimited number of these invaders. Maybe if he offed a few more of them, he could create a diversion somehow, make the rest of them scramble, thinking they were facing a sizable group of resistance fighters inside the building, to terrorize the terrorists. Then, amid the chaos, move the hostages out of the building. But how to chaperone them past the barricades? Sneaking 50 or 100 hostages wasn't the same thing as finding a hole to squeeze one or two people through. For now, he had to focus on thinning out their numbers, shifting the balance of power in his direction. Whatever happened after that, he'd have to devise a flawless plan when the opportunity presented itself. Foot over foot, hand over hand, down the ladder he went. Then, in the darkness, something stirred, gears clicked, and the cable in the middle of the shaft vibrated. The elevator was rising. Ah, oh, come on, man, he said through gritted teeth. He looked up into the darkness, trying to spy the ceiling. He imagined that metal box ascending to meet him. He had no doubt he could drop off the ladder and land in the elevator car, but what if it carried him all the way to the top? 
Would he encounter a few feet of leeway, or would he smush into the ceiling as the elevator hit the top floor? He didn't want to find out. Baring his teeth, Lane hustled down the ladder to the next set of elevator doors. As soon as he could reach them, he leaned down and jabbed his knife into the crack. An etched number on the frame around the elevator door indicated the number four where the main exhibit was housed, where the invaders were most likely gathered. Couldn't worry about that now. He had only one concern, not becoming a splat on the ceiling. The cable rattled behind him. He could hear the elevator ascending, the sounds bouncing off the surrounding walls. Couldn't see it below. But he could feel the air rushing up through the shaft, a headache forming pulsing behind his eyes, making his mind race, squeezing his brain. He wiggled the knife back and forth. The doors shifted open an inch, and he dropped down another two rungs on the ladder. The rush of air below him flowed faster, making his hair move, tickling his ears. He jabbed a foot into the opening and pushed. One door slid open, then he kicked the other one. He'd made a space barely big enough to fit his body through. He looked down. Now he could see the roof of the elevator hurtling toward him. Lane swung his feet into the opening as the elevator car rushed up to meet him. The implements on his vest and belt clanged against the open elevator doors. He felt the back of his head connect with the corner of the rising elevator as his torso emerged onto the museum's fourth floor. His eyes went blurry from the head bump. Then his feet landed and he whipped his arms back to prevent himself from tumbling forward. Lane opened his eyes to find five armed men with rifles, the black mouths of their barrels all pointed at him. Standing across from five heavily armed white guys, Lane saw his life flash before his eyes. Then his daughter's short life. It wasn't a pleasant experience. For half a second, neither he nor the others did anything. They seemed a little too shocked that he'd swung out of the elevator shaft a moment earlier. Then, one of them came to his senses and wrapped a finger on the trigger. Hey! Lane's head spun to the right to see Sarah, the woman who had nearly taken his head off with the stanchion on the second floor. She careened around a corner, waving her hands to get their attention. When all the invaders across from Lane pivoted their heads to look at her, he took his chance. He raised his pistols and emptied the clips while swerving his arms across his field of view. Two of the men he hit in the chest. Their body armor caught the bullets, but the shots still knocked them back. One of them Lane shot in the forehead, dropping him, and two more took bullets in the legs. Run, Lane said as he loaded a fresh magazine into one of the Berettas. Sarah whirled and raced back the way she'd come. Lane took off in the opposite direction, toward a hallway, popping off blind shots behind him. The two guards who'd been shot in the vest recovered quickly. As Lane hoped, they both headed in his direction, away from the unarmed Sarah. As Lane fled, he discovered the hallway wasn't a hallway, but a short passage into a room with sculptures. Bronze things twisted into various geometric shapes. He knocked into one crossing the room, sending it hard to the floor. It screeched as it slid across the hardwood. He bumped into the others, crashing them to the floor. At least his pursuers would have to look down to avoid them, providing him with a few seconds where they couldn't shoot at him. He popped fresh magazines into the Berettas as he darted down a hall after leaving the room. The world was shaky and disjointed. With the thumping behind his eyes and the ringing in his ears, it was all he could do to keep his feet underneath him. He found himself inside the Jewish art exhibit. A sign read, Smuggled Art, Auschwitz, 1941-1942. Paintings, pencil drawings, sculptures, fragments of diaries. 
all of them created by concentration camp prisoners and smuggled out. And then, Lane noted the bodies, so many he didn't know how to count them, piled in a corner sometimes two or three high, maybe twenty dead with bullet holes in their heads, puddles of blood shimmering under the lights. An armed man stood on the far side of the room arranging pieces of art in rows, lifting paintings from slots on the various walls and then lining them along those walls. When Lane skidded inside, the man dropped a painting of a cow. He leaped toward an M4 rifle leaning up against a wall. He fumbled with the strap as he tried to lift it over his head. Lane aimed and fired. He hit the man in the crotch. He staggered and Lane fired again, this time tagging him in the left ear. The man twisted and fell to the ground. As blood spurted, he flailed like a fish. He heaved in a few short breaths as one of his eyes flickered in a rapid wink. His head jiggled back and forth and then settled to the side, his lolling mouth open as he gave one last twitch. Lane rushed over and liberated him of his pistol magazines. He shoved them in his pockets. The image of that man's winking eye played in his head, distracting him. Lane squeezed his eye shut and turned his head away, trying to shudder it from his mind. Footsteps echoed behind him, so Lane took off again. He wished he had time to grab the man's M4 and destroy it, but the others were too close, not a second to spare. He rushed across the room looking for an exit. When he leaped into a hallway leading out from the main exhibit, a grenade tumbled onto the floor, ten feet in front of him. Jasmine noted the number of hostages left. The way they'd clustered made it impossible to count them. Many of them used each other's as shields, hiding their bodies any time Red or one of the other men made a pass around the room. Outside, the standoff between the cops and the invaders continued. The helicopter still swerved around. None of the soldiers outside did anything. Nobody came or left. A few minutes before, Red had taken a call on a satellite phone, but he'd walked away and she hadn't heard any of it. From time to time, he would near the window and then do something with his phone, typing a text or making notes about something. She had no information. They told her nothing. All she knew was that the number of hostages had dwindled. A few at a time, they'd be escorted into the elevators and then never come back. Jasmine heard grunts nearby, a low moan. She peered over to the other edge of the gift shop among the white people. A woman was there, big pregnant belly sticking out. She was seated, leaning back, hand on her stomach, grimacing as she pushed out labored breaths with closed eyes. Jasmine scooted across the floor in front of the gift shop and knelt next to the woman. Ma'am, are you okay? Is it coming? The woman, gritting her teeth, shook her head. No, it's not that. I just can't get comfortable and I've had to use the bathroom for a half hour now. Then the woman looked up at Jasmine's face. Her mouth dropped open. You shouldn't be here. Please, go back over there with the others. If they see you... Red barked a laugh. Jasmine and her pregnant companion watched him cross the room. Hands on hips, he glared down at the two of them. He lifted one of his hands and rested it on the butt of a pistol jutting out from a side holster. Was I not clear about where the seating assignments would be? Jasmine lowered her face, avoiding his gaze. She said nothing, knowing it would do no good. Red would toy with her, then he would toss her to the wolves. Best not to give him anything to use against her. I'm not mad, Red said, just disappointed. In fact, to show you how not mad I am, I'm going to bump you up in line. Me? The pregnant woman said, Please, I want to stay here. I'm not ready to go yet. Please, I didn't do anything. Red shook his head. No, not you. Then he leveled a finger at Jasmine. 
You, my dear, you are next on the list for our great performance art piece. He took out the pistol and drew back the slide. On your feet, Darkie. My boys are going to take you for a little elevator ride. All right, that was quite a whirlwind. Three rapid-fire quick chapters that we read through there. And um, you know what? There's only three chapters left, so those should be releasing every couple days. So within a week, you're going to know how it ends. Um, And uh, I can tell you the ending might surprise you, or it might not. Maybe you've seen it coming a mile away. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what you know. Only you know what you know. Or maybe you don't even know what you know. But uh, no judgments here. Whatever you know is fine with me because, hey, you know, however you want to live your life, I'm good with that. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling now because I'm tired of talking. But uh, thanks for coming along on this ride with me, and I hope you have a great day, and I hope you're kind to everyone you come across because, you know, don't be a jerk. Be good. Leave more than you take, and uh, the world will be a better place. All right. Everybody have a good one. That's it for this episode of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and visit jimheskett.com for more info and free thriller books.